Hey guys, so yeah, many people are investing and these days I get a lot of questions about investments. Uh, and REITs is this like super popular product. I don't know why for some reason. Is it because like Asians being Asians, there's this underlying desire to be a landlord and just so happen REITs don't really require you to, you know, take up a lot of loan and buy the whole thing or, or what's going on? And many people have shared a lot of stuff about REITs uh, online and I'm just going to chime in on some other points that I feel are less talked about and can definitely upgrade your game in REITs. So yeah. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome back. So good morning, everyone. I welcome you to another day with the Financial Coconut. In our podcast, we'll be debunking financial myths, discovering best financial practices, and discussing financial strategies that fits our unique life. You get it. Ultimately empowering us to create a life we love while managing our finances well. And today, we're going to spend some time to talk about this three reads concept that I feel will help you level up your game. Okay, many people talk about REITs and there's so much review about the different REITs in Singapore and I think, yeah, Seedly, like, my goodness, they do, like, review on REITs, every single REIT out there, I think. So, kudos to them, good job. And, yeah, it's a, it's a good reference. I think a lot of other people also talk about REITs. Of course, uh, the fifth person, um, can I call them our course partner? Because, yeah, we do we do propagate their courses and rightfully so because uh, we do believe in what they are doing and uh, we, we, we cross-check, like, make sure the course is good, right? And I think a lot of you guys have went for it and you are enjoying it so far. You learned your stuff, so that's good stuff. And for all of you who want to learn like a step-by-step, how to evaluate every single in and out of, you know, picking your dividend stocks, your REITs, you know, your income stocks and what have you not, the income investing strategy, you can go to the financialcoconut.com slash dividend to um, find out more about the program that we are propagating with the fifth person. And also you can head to the fifth person's YouTube channel and you can search for this video called How to Invest in REITs for Passive Income, The 5 Secrets. And yeah, in that video, they will talk about property yield, cost of debt, gearing ratio, price to book ratio, dividend yield, and those are the five secrets. Of course, uh, head over to the video to see the breakdown and you know how do they actually look at these ratios because ratios are just ratios if you have no understanding of what's going on. Which is why I always caution uh, over-focusing on ratios and matrices because you don't want to be blind on that and you know many a times these things can be rigged and can be played around if you don't know what's going on so i thought that yeah amongst all these repertoire of content on the internet about reads a lot of people talk about reads so we thought that yeah let me just share with you some other things that people don't really talk about as much to help you level up your game in the Singapore REITs market. So the very, very first concept that I feel you need to understand is this concept of capital recycling. So whenever I look into something, I always try to understand that 
incentive structures, right? Uh, amongst all the different parties in that particular tool or in that particular product, right? Like what's going on in between all of them so that I get a better understanding of why why they exist, you know, what they're trying to do and what is their incentive structure so that I make uh, better bets and, you know, align myself with certain incentive structures. And so when I first got to study about REITs, you know, one of the things that got my attention was like somehow everyone was super positive about REITs. Like REITs is this thing that, you know, you must buy, you know, it's just so good. And I'm like, why is it so good? Like, like if, if it was so good, uh, these REITs are so good and so profitable, then why don't the property owners just keep the property, right? So I needed to understand the incentive structure which brought me to this concept of capital recycling. Essentially trying to understand why do REITs even exist in the first place. So fundamentally, we got to bring back to the property developer. Okay, let's just take Capital Land as, you know, the quote-unquote iconic property developer in Singapore, right? They develop everything, like, essentially. So they bid for the land, they bring in the capital, bring the expertise and do what they need to do and build the malls, right? So after they build the malls, uh, what do they do? They go through a few transactions, right? A few like buy, selling, buying, selling, you know, and they kind of essentially ride on the capital appreciation of the mall. Over time, the mall becomes capital optimized. Okay, what does that mean? When someone when something is capital optimized, essentially means that there's limited upside to its you know, capital growth anymore. That means the price of the mall cannot go any higher. It's it's capped already, limited. I mean, if you think about it from a piece of land, you know, they bid it and it, you know, built a mall on top of it, right? So the prices go up as it go along, right? Which is why sometimes you see redevelopment projects, right? Some of the shop houses, people buy that whole stretch of shop house, very old shop house, they tear it down, they get a license and then they build a private condominium over in the area, right? So the, the whole value of that plot of land plus the property on top flip. You know, it, it went up because it is no longer a role of old shabby shop house. It is now, you know, an area of like high quality condominiums. So take that same idea back to shopping malls, right? They get a piece of land and then they build on top of it. Now this is a mall, not just a barren piece of land. And then the prices of this property goes up and it's maxed out at a, at a capital optimized level. But of course, um, it is not to say that the value of the property will never go up. Sometimes it goes up in tandem with the land value or there's some refurbishment, there's some re-evaluation or around the area, other malls are so higher and then it goes up, you know. So it's a lot more nuanced, but generally once the mall or once the property is being sold to the REIT, the chances of its value going up is very low already, you know, capital optimized. Let's say in the case of uh, Badok Mall, right? For all of you who know, uh, Badok Mall, Capital Land Mall Trust, okay, or Capital Mall, Capital Land Reads, or Capital Mall Reads, lah, same shit, okay? CMT is the ticker. They bought Badok Mall from Capital Land in 2015 for $780 million. So what happens? The Capital, the Reads, the Capital Land Mall Reads, pays Capital Land $780 million to own Badok Mall. Okay, and then the 780 million goes into Capital Land and Capital Land will then take this money to develop other properties. And if you go and look at Capital Land Mall Trust 2018 annual report, okay, the valuation of Badok Mall, okay, on 31st December 18, 2018, is $784 million. So it's about the same, right? In 2015, they bought it from Capital Land at $780 million. In 2018, end of 2018, the mall is still valued at about 780 million. 
And this is important to understand because when you understand this concept, you understand why REITs even exist in the first place. So when the property is already capital optimized, the property developer no longer makes any more additional yield from capital appreciation for holding on to the property. So what they do, they sell to the REITs, whatever REITs that they work with uh, or they sponsor, they end cash and then they take the cash to develop other properties. While at the same time, continue to manage the property and make management fees under that REIT. And I'm not like propagating this like conspiracy theory and saying that this whole thing is a sham and a scam. You know, it's not. I'm just helping you understand the different parties involved in this tool so that you make a better decision. So now that you know, you know, uh, what is the incentive of the property developer? What is the incentive of the trust? You know, the, the REITs? And what is your incentive? Then you can better align this whole thing. Which is why when you know, you buy a REIT, you can almost forget about capital appreciation. When you buy a REIT, you are mostly looking at rental you, right? So you need to understand the tool that you're owning, understand why this tool exists, what is the structure behind, who is involved, and then you can better use that tool rather than just blindly looking at ratios and matrices and making your bets, right? Because I hope that by understanding the whole concept of capital recycling, you get to understand why when people say you look at REITs, you don't you can forget about capital growth because they usually are capital optimized. You must look at the sponsor because depending on who is the sponsor, what kind of property will end up in the REIT. And generally just understand why all these matrices exist, what are people looking for, and get a better grasp of what you're actually doing, right? And if you have any other more detailed question about specific REIT or specific sector of REITs, you know, uh, definitely come to our community telegram group and just gonna post your questions there. I'm sure a lot of people will be happy to share with you their thoughts. Which brings me to point number two: the next concept that you need to understand to level up your game in REITs is that gearing ratio can be easily manipulated. Why do I point this out? Because a lot of people are talking about gearing ratios. So after the break, after a word from our sponsor, I will come back to you with the point number two. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, so essentially gearing ratio is... Uh Total debt divided by total equities, it is just trying to measure how much debt does this REIT have relative to the size of the REIT. And why do I bring this up uh, specifically? Because a lot of the content that I see online always talk about trying to find gearing ratio that is lower. You know, because there is a cap to the gearing ratio and uh, rightfully so, because when you cap the gearing ratio, you're essentially limiting the amount of debt that the REIT can have. And once again, when you see this view, you start to realize, oh, why some, why a lot of these property developers want to have their own REITs? Because when they have their own REITs, they can take on more loans, right? And buy more of their property from their original property development company, right? And then they can unlock more cash, more capital to develop more properties. So it's a cycle, which is also why, you know, it is, it is good to have these kind of like 
caps on gearing ratio, the amount of debt you can have in a REIT so that, you know, uh, companies don't over-exploit this uh, REIT structure. Lah. And I specifically bring the gearing ratio into focus because a lot of uh, websites and blogs and, you know, even Seedly and the fifth person, they all talk about finding tools, finding REITs that have low gearing ratio. The cap is 45%. Some people uh, look at 40%. Some people look at 35% as a good benchmark. So for me, it is good. It is good to find uh, gearing ratios that are lower. That means they, the REIT is not overly taking on too much debt. So I think that is fine. But you need to understand that, right? It is very easy to manipulate this gearing ratio. Okay, and not easy like, easy like, piak piak, like, like clap hand all suddenly or uh, the ratio changes. No, but it's like the REIT can sell more equity, sell more of itself to raise money, right? And then in that sense, the gearing ratio will come down because it's total debt divided by total equity. So now that there's more equities, gearing ratio come down. And it seems like it's a healthy company because gearing ratio is lower. But in actuality, they just sold more of themselves and it dilutes everybody. Because if there's 10 properties shared amongst 100 people, now they sell to another 100 people, then there'll be like 10 properties shared amongst 200 people. Of course, you know, that is an oversimplified case. But you get the idea, right? Now, you are sharing the properties that are in this REIT with more people because more equity is out there. So it looks better because gearing ratio is lower, but in actuality, it may not be because, you know, you're sharing with more. So your dividend will come down and, and whatnot. So when I look at it, I think it is more important to understand why the company needs more money, whether is it when it's taking on more debt or whether is it when it is selling more equity to raise more cash. I want to know the expansion plan. I want to know what they are doing, right? And just kind of see where they're heading towards and does it fit into my investment palette rather than blindly following, you know, um, things like gearing ratio, lah. specifically gearing ratio because the other stuff, I think quite logical, you know, uh, amongst what the fifth person talking about, like property yield, cost of debt, price to book ratio, dividend yield, all those things, uh, I think more people can understand. But gearing ratio, when it is a lot more, you know, um, financial management, when you look at it from a debt management viewpoint. So definitely look beyond the ratio, look into why the REITs is raising money. Are they prudent with their capital and are they expanding into the properties that you believe in? Do they stick to their investment theses, right? Rather than blindly follow different ratios and matrices. Which brings me to point number three is that you cannot confuse the business that rents spaces in the property and the rental business of the property. When you buy a REIT, right, you're essentially owning the property and the business of the property is the rent, right? So they rent out the space and that's all it is. Why I specifically want to talk about this? Because I hear things like, you know, people telling me, hey, you should buy DC REITs uh, because, you know, the whole uh, computing, IT, technology, more data is going to go around, right? And it, it is a, it's a growing thing, e-commerce and everything. So, you know, owning data centers is good. Right, but the reality is you don't understand how data centers work, right? They it's a lot more complex uh, when we talk about connectivity, when we talk about things like, you know, data center, different levels of data center, and who owns different racks in the data center, and different different stuff. It's a lot more complex, right? And of course, I'm not saying that as the whole digital business grow, it doesn't affect the data center business. It does, but it's not direct. It doesn't mean like, oh, you know, uh, everybody's going e-commerce, then therefore there will be, you know, uh, therefore the rental business of data centers will go up. 
there are a lot more tiers in between. You know, much like the malls, when people tell me, oh, you shouldn't, you should sell your mall reads now because, you know, um, people are going online, you know, nobody's going to shop and, and, and all those kind of stuff, which is not wrong. It may affect, you know, the rental business of the mall, but it is not a direct thing. There are a lot more nuances in between. If people don't go to shop, then the shops may close their business and stop leasing the space from the property. And then that affects the rental yield of the property. Importantly, you need to recognize that your incentive only ends at the rental of the property. It doesn't matter the business, you know, that rents the space do very, very well. You know, like let's say healthcare do very, very well. It doesn't mean that the REIT is going to make more money. It's going to charge the same thing more or less because for extended arrangement. Or it doesn't mean that, you know, uh, because some of the shops in the malls are closing down, then definitely will affect the rental business of the malls. Because sometimes when it close, other people come in and rent. So more importantly, I think when you look at the REITs, you need to understand that your incentive stops at the property, the rental of the property. So what you need to look at, right, is the pricing power. You know, how much can they consistently charge for rent? Can they keep increasing rent aligned with inflation? Or can they keep raising the rent at the, you know, at a, at, a, at a higher rate? Number two is the tenancy length of the rental agreement, right? Are the people that are renting the property, you know, going to be rental for a longer period of time? Then that will kind of help them withstand the current choppy period. Right, so recognizing that this is what it is, that when you buy a REIT, it only stops at the rental, you get a much clearer idea of what to look at when you're analyzing different, different property. So yeah, I'm going to sum up today. These three concepts probably will help you level up your game in the REIT space. And number one is to understand the concept of capital recycling, right? Because a lot of malls are already optimized. A lot of properties are optimized when they are sold to the REIT already. That's why there's limited capital appreciation. From the, from the property value and also um, people focus on the sponsor for this reason. And number two is that gearing ratios can be manipulated. You want to see that the REIT is being prudent with their capital rather than just focusing on like, oh, must keep the gearing ratio low because they can always sell more equity to adjust the gearing ratio. And number three, do not confuse the business that rents space in the property and the rental business of the property. Your incentive as a REIT only only ends at the rental of the property. Okay, so you want to see things like pricing power, you want to see things like tenancy agreement, how long are people renting and how much power, you know, can they continue to charge their tenants? And I hope you learned something useful today. See ya! Hey, I hope you learned something useful today and truly appreciate that you took time off to better your life with the financial coconut. Knowledge is that much more powerful and interesting when shared, debated and discussed. I hope you would share what you've gained with people you love and I want to hear from you. Give me some questions and help me along with building a community of financially savvy coconuts. I hope together we can fulfill our curious minds and our desire for clarity. Join our community telegram group, reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, everything is in the description below. If you enjoy the podcast and if you want to keep us growing and stay independent, do buy us a Kofi at Kofi.com. With that, have a great day ahead. Stay tuned next week and always remember, personal finance can be chill, clear and sustainable for all. Test, test. Okay, so... 
I hope you learned something useful. Of course, reads are a lot more nuanced depending on different, different kind of reads. Come to the Telegram group, ask us questions on different, different reads and we hope to help you along with that. So next week, next week, we're going to have a good friend of mine to come on the show to talk about, to make a base case for university. I know because a lot of you guys are like, can like, thinking of like further studies or thinking of like whether is it the MBA, whether is it a university, like a bachelor or whatever you're considering. I know um, generally on the internet, the, the the base case is you shouldn't go to the university because there are more ways to learn these days and uh, you rack up some debt, which is not wrong, you know, but uh, I feel like we always try to and the other side of the thought, right? So Ben is going to come on the show next week to provide you a base case as to why you should go to university. How do you benefit to the maximum when you are in the university and what can the university better so that it can continue to benefit its students and stay a vital part of our social system? So yeah, those things will definitely help you to make a better decision, you know, uh, in progress for life. And yeah, I hope to see you next week and join us again. See ya! Bye-bye! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 